Welcome back to PMR Unhinged. First, we want to say thank you to all of you. Our stats are increasing substantially. Yes, we've had quite a few people listening. Actually, you know, we've been pleasantly surprised and to see, and we've received many phone calls. We've received text messages. We've received a lot of direct messages, emails from people who have said that they're really enjoying the, the show and the content of what we're providing. You know, so we really want to thank you because, you know, we really are doing this for you. So if there's other things that you want to learn about, if there's other questions that you have, please continue to, to send them our way so that we can continue to give you what you're looking for, not necessarily what we want to make this show about you. So make sure that you're letting us know what you want to hear about. And keep sharing, liking, subscribing, downloading, adding to your playlists. Absolutely. Because that helps. Keep, keep letting us know. We appreciate you. And today we're doing Q&A by popular demand. We have a lot of questions that we didn't get to in the previous Q&A and a lot of new ones. So let's just jump right in. And we have a timer uh, for each question now. We have a three minute timer because as you know, I can get long winded. Yes. And so we're going to hold each question to three minutes. When the little sand runs out, we're done with that question. We have to move on to the next. So Jenna, let's just let's get going. In. First question, what are the best types of investments that are profitable? The best types of investments that are profitable, you have to really look at where does your compass lead you for, I'll tell you for me what they were for me. The most profitable investments are really, if, if you like stocks, then really I like new technology coming out. Uh, those tend to be extremely profitable. But to back up, you know, real quick, you know, we're, we can't give investment advice. We can only just tell you what, uh, you know, what I do, but uh, we can't give actual formal investing advice. You would have to contact a licensed professional for that. So let's just back up and go to what I do. The investments, for me that are the most profitable are the investments that provide me cash flow every month. So I used to invest for capital gains. So in other words, I would invest and buy it, let's say a stock, and I would want that stock to be, if I've invested 10,000, I'd want it to make $100,000. But what I learned is, is by doing that, you're constantly trying to swing for the fences. And so when I pulled that back and learned that it's actually better to make base hits, uh, that that's a lot better. The next thing is, is that I changed my investment focus towards cash flow. So for me, real estate, real estate is my best uh, investment and that is because it brings me cash every month. So today when I make an investment, I want to know first thing is how much money am I going to make next month? Those tend to be the best investments. If you look at the really big investors, Warren Buffett, all of them, they're always investing for cash flow. So Warren Buffett may do it in stocks and let's say like a Grant Cardone or something, he's doing that in uh, multifamily properties, there's many different ways that you can go about it. But for me, uh, it's real estate. It's triple net commercial real estate. It is multifamily real estate. And it is also uh, some personal businesses as well. So, so if you're not at the point flow. of being able to do real estate investments, since obviously that takes a lot of cash, then should we look at like E-Trade stocks, like Triple Q, well, index funds. The best thing to do is to put your investment on autopilot. So if you can do $300 a month, have $300 a month that comes out, that's how what I did. 
I started with literally $300 a month. It would come out on the 15th of every month and it would just get automatically invested in my Vanguard account in a Vanguard Total Index Fund. Uh, then I started doing it with E-Trade where it would just go into the Dow Jones or a DIA it was the actual fund or index that I used. I also did triple Q, so QQQ, and I would just keep doing that on a monthly basis. So it would just take out my account on the 15th. It would get invested into those funds, those index funds automatically. And then later on, when those have enough money in it, I take that money out of there and go and invest it in real estate. Just so you know, actually, I still do that exact same thing today as I'm continuing to build firewood or putting firewood to the side. I'm actually still doing that. The numbers may be much different and much larger, but I'm still doing the exact same thing today. It just automatically comes out of my account, goes into typically some different funds, and then when I have enough, that's it. So we're out of our three minutes on that one. We'll go to the next one. <laughs> well, that jumps into another question. Um, do you like Bitcoin? I do like Bitcoin. I think everybody, you know, in my opinion, you know, should have exposure to cryptocurrency. For me, yes, I do have cryptocurrencies. I have uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano. I, I have many, many different ones. Link, there's several that I that I have. I started investigating uh, cryptocurrency last year. I knew about it. Funny thing is I knew about it back in 2012, 2013, around then, and I just didn't understand it. And I'm one of those people I don't like investing in anything I don't understand. And so as I read about it, of course, I can always look back and think, well, wow, if I would have only invested in it back then, you know, I mean, Bitcoin was literally under a dollar at that time mm -hmm. i could have bought a lot and today it would be worth tons but i didn't understand it and i don't invest in things i don't understand so but isn't it okay to be a little risky when we're talking about investments not when i don't think you should be very risky when you're first starting out i think that you can do that later if you have you know x amount of money and it's not going to hurt you you can put maybe 10 percent away towards riskier things you know mm -hmm. so if you have let's say a hundred thousand dollars sure maybe put ten thousand dollars towards something that's a little more riskier today with inflation and the way the world is going what i would say is cryptocurrencies are the future there's no question about it if you look into the technology if you look into everything that is being built on these platforms on the blockchain this is the future and Anybody who's not in this game is going to regret it. It's very volatile. It's very up and down. And you can have tons of money one day and you know half the money the next. And then you can have a lot more the, the day after. So you just have to understand that that's part of the game. You have to ride it. And for me, I'm a holdler. H-O-D-L. Holding on for dear life. But uh, yeah, so I do allocate more of my risky money towards that. You know, I also buy gold, silver. If you're looking to, you know, participate in gold and silver, there are funds like uh, GLD. Uh, there's other gold, you know, mining stocks that you can also invest through E-Trade as well. So quick question I just came up with. What's your opinion on Dogecoin? I don't like Doge because it was made as a joke and you know people are pumping it up. It's really a pump and dump type, you know, coin, mm -hmm. I think. Can they maybe turn it around and use it into something else later? They might, but for me if I don't like the technology that it's built on or like the reason that it's built on or the reason why it was built, then I don't want really any part of it. Yeah. Okay, next question. What is your why? I would say my overwhelming why is my family. You know, I do what I do because of them, my my children and their, you know, now my grandchildren. And so I really do it for my family and I really keep pushing for that. You know, there's another part of it 
is I'm very curious as to what my potential is. And so I'm not going to stop until I can keep finding that ceiling. Every time I start bumping up against a ceiling, I start asking myself, can I break through this ceiling? You know, what do I have to do to break through this? You know, whatever, however you think today is not going to be the way that you can think to get you to the next level. So that's why I'm constantly always looking at how can I change my way of thinking? What can I learn today that's going to help me to get to the next level? You know, I mean, I'm constantly going to different conferences, constantly going to different seminars. I'm constantly reading different books. I myself listen to different, you know, podcasts. I'm constantly uh, always looking to what's going to be the, the next thing that I can push myself, but it's all built on the foundation that I'm doing it for my family so that I can come back and teach them what I know. Because I see so much great potential in, in all of my children that I really want them to see what can they do. And that's, that's really what I do today. Is, it's all for reasons. So I'm constantly right. looking at what's my potential. Is it okay to change your why? I think your why will automatically change as you continue to go through life. And yes, I think if, if you don't have a strong enough why, then you're not going to reach those things that you really want to reach because you don't have anything pulling you. Most people are looking for something to push them, but really what they need to do is look for something that's going to pull them in the direction that they're really trying to go. Find that and you'll find that it becomes very easy to get where you're trying to go. Okay. Next question is, what are great habits to start building? Top list of 10 books to read. Number one best habit to start building is, and this goes back to what we've all, what we've started talking about in the very beginning, which is to learn. If you are a particular salesman, let's say you're a mortgage salesman, then the best thing to start with is learn your craft. Learn exactly everything that you can about the business that you're in. If you are in a business and you want to be very successful at that business and you have to learn everything that you can about it. If you're in sales, then I would learn everything I can about sales. If you're in, you know, if you're a nurse, then I want to be the very best nurse that there possibly is. There's one thing that I've always told my children. I, I don't really care what it is that you want to do in life. All I care about is that you just that you're the best. And I would always tell them, you know this, I would always tell you, look, I don't care if you're a school janitor, that's fine. If you're happy, that's fine. But just be the best. Be the very best that you can. Because I've seen people, I've met people who are extremely, extremely wealthy and they're miserable. And I've met people who aren't very wealthy and they're very happy. So I'd rather see you happy than filthy rich and, and miserable. So that's what I would say is, and I'm not going to lie, it's much better to be happy and wealthy, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously that's where you want to be. That's the goal. So, you I don't know, know why it's an option. I think that that's where most people are trying to push towards. But again, the best thing that you can do to build is learn. Start reading books. If, it, if you're not doing the business that you want to be in or you're not doing the craft that you are, that you see yourself, then I would start reading books on the one that you want to be. I always, and again, so this is just a few years ago, I've invested in all kinds of different real estate and I was investing or have, you know, I still do today, investing in triple net properties, but I always had this curiosity about investing in multifamily properties. So what did I do? I went to a conference and started learning. I started reading all kinds of different books about 
multifamily properties. And at this conference, I ended up meeting a whole bunch of different people, got together with them. And lo and behold, today I'm a general partner in a 355 unit complex in in Houston and also 145 unit uh, property. So, you know, that's how quickly things can change when you start really learning. So you see it with all these different people. They constantly are telling you, read books, read books, learn. That's the best thing. The number one thing that you can do if you want to really change your life tomorrow, I don't care if it's you want to have a better marriage, if you want to, you know, have a better physical body, if you want to have more wealth, it starts with reading books. Okay. Was, this was like a double question and then it goes on to say your top But I think what we can do is books. we'll put that in the on the on you know on Instagram we'll list the top 10 books that yeah. I would recommend. But uh, you know, Think and Grow Rich, you know, just to name a few of the uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant, Conspiracy of the Rich, those are all three by Robert Kiyosaki. You know, there's the four minute work week that's uh, by Tim Ferriss. I mean, I could go on and on, but yeah, uh, we'll post it. But we'll go ahead and post those and on our Instagram page. Yeah. Back to something you said. Who do you think made that up? Would you rather be poor and happy or rich and sad? Why can't you be rich and happy? Well, I think you can be rich and happy. It's, yeah, it's all a mindset, and again, it comes down to you know the battle of the mind, right? What we've talked about. What I'm saying is, is that I've met people who are very rich and miserable, yeah. and I've met people who are very, you know, are not very wealthy and happy. So I'm just saying, if you only had to choose between the two, well, I'm going to make a new column. I'm going to yeah. choose number three. Choose I'm going to choose and wealthy and happy. <laughs> so again, I never like to conform. So yeah, uh, you know, I guess I'm not going to choose either those I'm gonna choose wealthy and happy yeah so you just got to focus on that and make that happen all right let's go okay. to the next question our little timer has run out of sand here what percent should I put away for taxes as a real estate agent so when I had the mortgage company I had many loan officers that would always come and ask me because they're hundred percent commission and so I would always really recommend at a minimum 20% and as a rule 25 to 30. So really, if you get that check, you immediately want to take 25% and put it in a separate account. I typically recommended, uh, you know, my loan officers, I recommended them to put it at a different bank or put it somewhere that you're not going to be tempted to go get it. So put it in your E-Trade account because you can always transfer it back, but you want to put it somewhere where it's just not easily accessible, where you can just easily transfer it from your savings account into your checking account. You get tempted to do that. So you don't want to, you want to put it somewhere where you're not tempted to, to So after you get taxed and they, you know, whatever it ends up coming out to be that you owe the government, then what if you have like leftover money? Do you think that you should keep it there for next year or? I would, uh, your tax account, I would really just keep your tax account as the, your tax account, the money that you're putting over there and leave it there, let it build. That way, because if something happens later on, and you had to you know go over that or go under that 25% maybe you could only say 15% well you have a little bit of a buffer uh, sitting in that account so I would highly highly recommend that if you can do 30% that's that's best and again lot. what you have to understand is is if you once you make that that check 30% goes to taxes and now you have 70% left well now that's a hundred percent of what's coming to you so what do you do with that hundred percent that's came to you now you take 10% 
of that amount, you know, for me, that's tithe. what I've always taught, right? 10% goes to tithe. The next 10%. Right, but it would be 100 minus 30 minus 10. That's correct. And so, then you have only. So if you have a $1,000 check, you know, $300 is going to go to your tax account. Well, that leaves you with $700. So what are you going to do? Well, for me, $70 is going to go to tithe, right? Mm -hmm. And $70 is going to go to pay me. So it's going to go to my savings account or my kindling account, what, what I'm going to save towards to make bigger investments later. So that would probably go to my E-Trade account. And then the rest I'm going to use towards paying my bills. Okay. So the biggest thing that you can do is, is when you find things that are tight, most people start looking at it and say, well, how am I going to live on that? Well, what you want to do is you don't necessarily want to focus on where am I going to cut? How can I save money here? How I'm going to, you know, save money over here or over there. What you want to do is focus on how can you increase your income? Just start making more money. You want to make more money so that those checks be get bigger and bigger and bigger. So that if you, you're going to get more of what you focus on. So that needs to be your primary focus. That's why I've always pushed and advised my own children to find or go into sales. Go into a sales job because now you have more control over what you make. If you go into a sales business or sales job and they say, well, look, you can make, you know, whatever the sky or you can make up to 500,000. Well, you know that you can, you can go up to 500,000 before you've actually hit your limit, right? right? So you're deciding what you're worth. That's a very scary thing, mm -hmm. but you have to find ways that you're going to learn so that you can keep sharpening the tools so that you can make more money, right? So that you can get past that 50s. You can make that 100, okay? Not everybody is cut out for sales. Not everybody wants to go do a sales job where it's 100% commission and they're dependent on that. Not everybody can do that anymore, but there are things that you can do in the evenings and on the weekends to increase your income every month to put to the side so right. that you can start putting that into investments that bring you cash flow later. It's just that you most people, they, they go take that job and then they don't look at anything else, right? So what right. have I always taught you guys? I always taught my children, hey, look, you're making X amount. Then all of a sudden one day you get married. Now you're making double, let's say. So let's say you were only making around 100,000 now you get married, now you're making 200,000. Well, what is there, what do most young people do? They now go out and spend $200,000 a year, right? Well, that's not what you should do. You should, you've been living off of 100,000. So continue to go live off 100,000 and now everything that your spouse is making, put it to the side in your, in your firewood bundle so that you can now start investing in deals that will bring you cash flow later on that will then start making you more and more money. That's right. it, but most people, they want the two, they want to eat the two marshmallows now rather than wait 15 minutes and get the five marshmallows later. So don't do that. Okay. Next question. How can I control my emotions in a time that's so volatile? You can control your emotions in a time when it, it's so volatile. Number one for me is I, I pray and I, things that I can't handle, things that are outside of my control. I've learned that I just hand it over to God and I say, God, you handle you take this because it's too big for me. I just read a verse, um, 1 Peter 5, 7. Go look it up. Cast all your anxieties on Christ for because he cares for you. Absolutely. I mean, it, and it's so true. I remember the time when, you know, before I would do that, I would try to take everything on myself and I would try to handle everything. And I, I, 
I would just mess it up. When I started just handing it to God and start saying, look, this is too big for me. Let me give it to you and let him take care of it. Then everything just started working out better. The other thing I do is I do meditate. I will meditate. I will, you know, take 15, typically 15 minutes a day and I meditate. The other thing that I do is I go to the gym. You would be amazed at how the gym will make you feel better. It will Mm -hmm. clear your mind and it will help you feel more powerful to handle those problems that are coming at you. Yeah, I had a friend ask me about why I don't struggle with like anxiety or anything like that. And everybody struggles with it, it's real. But the difference is, is the Bible literally tells me not to do that, to just give it to God. Right. And that's why some people just don't understand that because they're not willing to just give it to God and move about their day. You know, there's so much going on in the world and then I start connecting dots, Mm -hmm. you know, and I start connecting dots forward. I'm like, okay, well this happened. That means this is going to happen and this is going to happen, but you don't know what the hell is going to happen. So, you know, quit trying to control the future on things that are outside of your control anyway. You know, you can only control what's within your own bubble. So control those things because Anxiety is often happens when you start feeling out of control, right? You know, and a lot of people feel anxiety is because they're so focused on things that they can't control. They have no control over it at all. You know, I I, I do hear people like, and they get me going too. And all of a sudden I'm wrapped up in it. You know, oh my God, what's going on over here? You know, what's going on in, in Russia or wherever, you know, and I'm like, at the end, I guess just gotta say, what? Why am I sitting there have all this anxiety about it when I cannot control any of that? So you know what? I know one who can. I put it in God's hands right. and let Him take it yeah. from there. It's a real emotion, just an emotion you can give to God, I guess. It's a real emotion, but it is also one that you can do things to really help yourself, which is meditate and first give it to God. Second, I would say go to the gym. Go to the gym and work out. And third, meditate. Okay. Meditate on what you want, not on what you don't want. Right. All right. What's the minimum number of units you look for in a multifamily property? So the number of units that, you know, from my learning, and I've learned a lot now uh, in multifamily from speaking to so many, you know, big investors who actually now invest in these. I mean, I know people that have 4,500 units. I know people that have, you know, 1,500 units, 2,000 units. I mean, I know someone that has over 10,000 units right? 10,000 multifamily, 10,000 doors. So the one thing that I have learned is the minimum is 80 doors. You want a property that has at least 80 doors. Now, most people are going to sit there and say, well, yeah, I can't afford a property with 80 doors. That's $10 million. Well, let me tell you something. I know, well, I'm not going to say I know them. I've uh, met a young couple there. That was a couple years ago. So today they're probably 29 years old, 29 years old, married couple, and they have like 1500 doors. So the thing is, is that what you would have to understand is, is that you don't have to go out and buy that $10 million property yourself. You can be the one that finds and sources the deal. And then you go find people who have very good credit. You find people that have strong net worths and you find people who want to invest in that property. Now you brought to the the table a $10 million property. Maybe you're putting in $25,000 of your own money and now you're bringing in all these other investors who are making up the other 2.5 million or the $2,475,000 that you need to invest in because typically on a commercial property you're looking at a minimum of about 25%. Now there's other programs out there. I'm just saying for the typical investor, you're looking at 25% down on a commercial property. You don't have to be the one that invests in all of it. Now 
that's how I was for a long time. That's how I would say that, you know, we've reached a certain level is because I did, I had businesses, I put the money away from those businesses. I then took the money from that and started investing in my own properties, my own commercial properties. And that made a big difference, but not everyone has to do it that way. And the real name of the game today is to syndicate. If you want to actually have, you know, 5,000 units, then learn about syndicating properties because there's people out there that do it with no credit, no money. And you know, but the thing is, the main thing is you have to have people. You have to know other people. You have to be good at raising money and you have to have uh, the ability to make good business plans because that's what they're gonna, going to invest in. So I'm gonna give you one example. The 355 unit property that I'm a general partner in, we have like 42 investors in that. I didn't put all that money down. It was like $6 million. We, we because of my network, because of the people I know, we went and raised, actually it was almost 7 million, we went and raised $7 million from 42 investors. So, and we did it in four days. So in four days, we raised $7 million and then bought the property, which is a 355 unit complex. So mm -hmm. there are ways to do it, but if you wanna learn, learn about syndicating. Okay. What cap rate and NOI do you look for when purchasing an investment property? Well, those kind of go hand in hand, the cap rate and NOI, because they're driven off of each other. So I, let me answer it this way. As far as cap rate, I tend to want a minimum of 6% if I'm investing in a triple net property, a 6% cap rate. Um, and I typically want a building that's around four to $5 million at a 6% cap rate. Let's back up for some of our listeners. Explain what cap rate and NOI is. Okay, so a cap rate is, let's just simplify it. A cap rate is if you have a million dollar property and the cap rate is 6%, then that's not considering financing. So the NOI, the net operating income would be $60,000 because you're making 6%. So what that cap means, if I went and paid cash for a million dollar building in the cap rate 6%, and let's say it's triple net, that means the tenant pays for property taxes, the tenant pays for all repairs, right. they pay for everything. I only collect a check basically, okay? So that's why I like triple net. It's very simple, it's easy. It, there, yes, there is a lot of work to it, but typically you just make the $60,000 a year and that's it. Now that's not considering if you then use leverage, which is financing. So. The 6% is the percentage. The NOI is the $60,000. So the cap rate in our example is 6%. The net operating income is $60,000. Okay. If you, if you can find something that's making $500 a month or even $200 a month, uh, that's great for someone that's starting out. And that is how I started. I started buying condos and I was making $150 a month on these condos. Then the price went up and guess what? Now a condo that I bought for 50, I was now able to sell it for 75 or 80,000. That's crazy. It was and, that cheap. And that's how you can do. Uh, you know, there were condos that I bought in Colorado for $15,000 in 2006. And That's when insane. I looked at that, I said, I can't even buy a car for $15,000. So I went and bought as many of these $15,000 condos that I could. And you know, 10 years later, I was selling them for $150,000. You know, then you take that money and you go start buying bigger properties, bigger deals. I look for 6% typically on triple net. I'm willing to go lower on multifamily, uh, but typically 6% 
uh, is a minimum, but there, there comes with some risk on that side because cap rates have compressed so much. So if I can buy a property at 6% cap rate and then I can turn around and sell it for a 5% cap rate, I'm, that's where okay. I make a lot Define of money. Define cap. C-A-P It's means capitalization what? rate. That's what the cap stands okay. for. And NOI is? Net operating income. Okay. So let's just take a quick example of this, okay? I buy a property at a million dollars and it's a 6% cap rate. Okay, so that means I paid a million dollars for it. Let's say six months later, I'm able to sell that same property for a 5% cap rate. So now I can go and so now I can sell it for so 60,000 and I can now sell it for a 5% cap rate. I can now sell that same building that I just bought a few months ago for 1.2 million. Okay, because cap rates are compressed. So the demand starts going up. So more and more people start wanting to buy these cash flowing properties because more and more people are learning and it is getting very competitive out there. Now I can sell that property for 1.2 million. I'll give you an actual example. I bought a property for 2 million and held onto it for two years. I bought it for a 7% cap rate. Cap rates hadn't compressed yet. And two years later, I sold it for a 6% cap rate. So that $2 million building I sold for $3 million two years later. And so that's how you can do it. Now, the reason that people like multifamily properties is because if you can increase the NOI, if you can increase the net operating income, that increases your sale price. Doesn't that also have a lot to do with just like what's happening in the market, what's happening in the world? What's happening in the market, money is starting to slosh around all over the place. And mm -hmm. yes, so it has a lot to do with that. So being so that we have to continue to move on because we've gone way, way past our three minutes there. Uh, what I would say is really start learning about cap rates, NOI, start reading books about syndication and start reading books on commercial real estate. That's what I'd say. Okay. If you could do one thing differently, what would it be and how would your life be different today? If I could do something different, I would say the one thing that I would do is I would have gone bigger much earlier. I would have not procrastinated, but if you're looking for one thing, I would have I would have gone bigger. I would have set my goals much higher and because, you know, I set my goals at a certain level and then all of a sudden I hit them. Well, you know, if I would have just set them much higher, you know, I probably would have hit though. And you know, that's why they say, if you're gonna set a goal, then set a goal for the stars and maybe you hit the moon, right? But then at least you still have something to, that you keep going for. A lot of times what happens is, is you set a goal and all of a sudden you hit it and next thing you're like, oh, well, I hit it. And you start celebrating. You're like, oh, great, I'm there, I've arrived. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is then all of a sudden you notice that, wow, that's it's not so much fun anymore because Really the fun is in trying to reach the goal and getting to the goal. Most people are always thinking, oh, well, it's gonna be fun once I reach the goal. Well, to be honest, it's actually more fun setting it and then going for it. Right. But a lot of times people can become complacent or they get comfortable because they finally reach the goal, right? My goal is to make a $100,000 a year and then all of a sudden you make it and now you're like, oh, okay, well, I made it. So you lose years of time because now you're just making that 100,000. Maybe you didn't set the next goal. How would it have changed my life? It would have changed my life because I would have been able to reach higher summits. I would have been able to climb bigger mountains that I didn't feel that I could have reached earlier on. Right. And so now I set my goals very high and I just keep moving towards those. Okay, next question. What is good debt versus bad debt? That's simple. Good debt is if you're gonna go buy a, let's say a property and it is bringing you in $500 a month in cash flow every month, that is good debt. If you're gonna go buy a car that is costing you $500 a month 
and taking money out of your pocket, that's bad debt. So good debt puts money in your pocket, bad debt takes money out of your pocket. If you want the fun thing, so now if I want a fun car or if I want something, then I have to go make an investment in something. So let's say I want a fun car that's gonna be $1,500 a month or right. $2,000 a month or whatever it is. I now go make a, an investment so that that investment is making me $2,000 a month or more. And now I go buy the fun car and my investment's paying for it, not me. Right. So it's even more fun because my investment pays for it, not me. Right. Next. Next, I just graduated high school. What can I do to build wealth today? The number one thing that you can do is is really listen to the PMR Unhinged podcast <laughs> <laughs> because it's going to give you a lot of the steps going you know forward from that. Uh, you know, one thing is if your parents have good credit and you just graduated high school have them put you on one of their credit cards. Only if they have good credit. If they have bad credit, do not yeah, do no that. Way. They will wreck your credit. So if you don't really have any credit, you graduate high school, then have your parents put you on a credit card that they've had for a period of time. Maybe not, you know, like I made a mistake and put, you know, one of my kids on, on a credit card when they first graduated and I'd had the credit card for 20 years. Well, he was only 18. So that actually causes problems. So. Don't do that, but ask your parents if they'll put you on one of their credit cards and, and that helps you build your credit because credit is everything. Protect your credit. If you destroy your credit, always said, poor credit is the fastest path to poverty. If you have poor credit, you, then you're gonna pay more for everything. It takes more money out of your pocket on everything. You and also it, can't buy a house. It's harder to buy a house or that interest rate's a lot higher. You're just gonna pay more for everything. So it's literally, your poor credit is literally keeping you in the poor house. Mm -hmm. So protect your credit at all costs because poor credit is the fastest path to poverty. Good credit can always dig you out of ruts. Right. It means paying all your stuff on time. Don't ever be late don't on ever, payments. Don't ever be late because it's a seven year, seven to 10 year sentence that you're giving yourself. So if you go 30 days late on a credit card, you're literally sentencing yourself to a seven to 10 years in credit jail because that will be on your credit report for seven to 10 years and it will affect you and you will pay more for everything for seven to 10 years. Is it, it's not just like credit cards, right? It's also if like, if you pay your rent late, if you pay your car Absolutely. payment late, that all affects your credit. Too. Absolutely. Okay, Anything yeah. that you sign a contract on. Right. So when you get a credit card, you're signing a contract with them that you will pay. If you have rent, they can report it to your credit bureau. It's very hard to go get an apartment if you don't have very good credit. So credit is really, it's everything. You have to have good credit. It just affects you and everything. And you don't, it, it can actually inhibit your success. If you want to be, if you want to be wealthy later, then start learning about your credit and start protecting your credit. Have your parents put you on a credit card if they only have good credit. And if they don't, then get a prepaid credit card. So what you can do is take $500 to the bank and say, can I get a prepaid credit card? They'll take your $500, they'll put it in a savings account that you cannot touch, and then they'll give you a credit card for $500. What you wanna do is then charge, sounds crazy, but you wanna charge $200 on that credit card and make the minimum payment for at least a year. So if the minimum payment's 10 bucks, then just make the minimum payment of $10 for one year, and that will actually start helping you build your credit. Your parents don't have to give you the actual card, they can just put you on their account like their Citibank account or Chase account, and you'll get the benefits of the good credit, but they don't have to give you the card that you can go charge on. They can just keep that away from you, and that way you're just getting the benefit and not you know, ending up going and charging all kinds of money that they may have to pay. Yeah. So 
Okay, um, next question, how do you know when to focus 100% on one business versus getting into multiple businesses? I think in the very beginning, if you're doing anything, focus 100% on one thing. Uh, it's those that try to be a jack of all trades that master none, right? So be a master of one than rather a jack of all trades, okay? So go be the very best at one thing. And the thing is, is that when you're really first starting out, you know, kids are, are young, I say kids, but young adults, they, they want to know, like they want this life. They see the Instagram life, right? Okay, again, if you really want that, then you have to set yourself up in ways that you can make that. You can't say, okay, well, I want this great fancy life and go get a job for 30 grand. That's why I say sales, or that's why I say, you know, maybe you do have the job for 30 grand, but at night you're building your business, you know, at your night, at night and on weekends, you're building your business. So, because there's no cap there, you can make it whatever you want. So, you know, again, there's many different ways that you can do it. I like sales because again, you can, you know, make whatever you want in sales and it's best to get a sales job when you're young. But success will come faster with like commission jobs, depending on how hard you work. But what if you do the whole putting, you live on, or you have a 30 grand salary, whatever, and then you're putting away your firewood, you can still become rich on 30 on a salary. It just will take longer, right? Cause a if you're- Absolutely, there's people out there that have only made $30,000 their entire life, but they learned to put money away and invest. So like you heard about the one guy, actually I believe he was a, a janitor at a school and when he died, he had $12 million. Yeah. You know, now, Again, I don't know. I mean, maybe when he reached 5 million or 6 million, you know, he probably could have done some things that he was making cash flow so that he could have lived a much better life and maybe retired. But really wealth, in my opinion, is if you're making $30,000 a year and you get cash flowing investments that are paying you $30,000 a year, you're wealthy because you could quit your job and still make the same $30,000 a year and not work. So really that, that's, that's a kind of level of wealth. You know, I mean, if you're making whatever you're making, you can still get out of the rat race. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay, that is all the questions that we have for today and all the time that we have. So thanks. Keep liking. Keep sending us your questions. We hold on to them for the next Q&As. Yep. Thanks for tuning in, and we really appreciate you. We did go over our time that we typically like to do, but we uh, wanted to make sure that we at least hit the large majority of the questions that have been asked from now since last time. Actually, we didn't get through all of them, but we'll continue to uh, do these Q&A sessions. So thanks yep. again.